welcome to Luma and Bloom, the podcast that empowers and enlightens. My name is Nick. And my name's Kate. And together, our goal is to shine a light on the dark conversations. Luma and Bloom is brought to you by the Joy Smith Foundation. ask you about that because you did share that in your documentary how you never used to talk about the the suicide aspect it was just make every day count but then it was that one point where you had a school reach out to you and say hey we just received a letter do you want to tell that story sure yeah it was extremely pivotal and terrifying and every emotion you can imagine because yeah, principal had called and said, we just lost a young girl to suicide. And um, on her note, it revealed that she had a pact with a friend of hers and said, if you kill yourself, I'll kill myself. Thank you that I'm not doing this alone. And the principal said, we don't know who the ki- other kid is. Can you come right away? We've heard you're pretty effective. So what are you going to do? Well, our flights are this, our hotels are this. You know, we just, you go. You just we'll go. go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we went and there's a thousand students in front of me and I'm thinking someone in this room is about to take their life and I'm supposed to find them. Wow. And I'm just like, and I could feel it in my heart. I'm like, that's heavy. You got to say it that you were there once too. And I'm like, uh, like I've never said this to my family. I've never said this to my parents. My, my, my band doesn't know that I was there. Like I didn't I can't reveal that part. What are the students going to think of me? This is the end of my tour. Staff are going to be like, you, got on stage and said what like revealed this weakness you know I'm like I can't and if I reveal that this compelling story of a car accident led me down there is that my encourage oh if you go through something it's going to bring you there I'm not want to I can't say this yeah I'm terrified and my heart's beating and I get to this place in the show and I was like I know there's someone in this room that's thinking about taking their life you're not alone. I was there once too. And I just braced for the impact. And I was like, and it was just like, oh, that felt good. Yeah. Felt so good. And then afterwards, like I could just see, even on stage, the, the relationship between me and the audience is just different, but not in a bad way. And then after the show, people are coming up and sharing their stories and some just want an autograph or a selfie. And, and this girl comes up she pulls a note out of her pocket not even like tears in her eyes and she just holds out a note and I was like you want me to sign this? <laughs> like what is this? it was old crinkled up paper and she goes this is my suicide note I was going to kill myself this weekend she goes here I don't need this anymore and the principal and the school counselor standing next to me and they're like and they walked off to get help and I was like holy shit what was that? I, what just happened? I was so confused. That was the kid. That was the kid. We found them. But I'm thinking, why was this note on her? And then I spoke with a police officer who does a lot of work with um, suicide prevention among teens. I said, she didn't write that note during the show. She had it on her. And uh, they said, yeah, when we come on the scene of a suicide, very rarely is the note freshly written. People usually carry it with them for two or three months before they take their life waiting for somebody to push them over the edge or waiting for somebody to say something and let them know they're not alone and uh, there's hope. There's hope. 
And so then it was the next day, and there's another 1,000 students in front of me, and I'm thinking, hmm, if those stats are true, as I mentioned before, pre-COVID, one in five kids were suicidal. So I did it again the next show, and it was a little easier. I said it. I know some of this room is thinking about taking your life. You're not alone. I was there once, too, and a young guy came up and pulled the note out of his pocket. Here. And I was like, oh, this is now my mission, you know. Because wow. we talk a lot about different things in our story. Maya's story was similar to yours. We, um, we share all kinds of different stories about addiction and, and all kinds of stuff. But that's a big focus. And, yeah, and then in 10 years, we were handed 917 suicide notes. And that doesn't include all the kids that get home. I didn't have my note with me, but making a YouTube video or a TikTok, ripping up their note or burning it. And one of the songs we play during the show is called Thief of Colors. And on the LED walls behind us as we play the song, the music video is playing so they can see the words that we're singing and they can watch the music video and they just see all these videos of kids ripping up the notes, getting rid of the razor blades, tattooing the words of the song on their arms where they used to cut. And you just see kids go, huh, I want to be like that girl. I want to rip up my note. Huh. We want it like... There's, there's power in you guys telling your story. There's power in story because media, unfortunately, in general, when we talk about mental health, we usually talk about the suicides. Yeah. When we talk about addiction, we talk about the overdoses, which, and you can learn from tragedy, but you have to balance that with stories of victory and triumph. Let people know that every story of mental illness doesn't end in a suicide. Not every story of addiction doesn't end. Not every story of addiction ends with an overdose. Yeah. Like, so tell those stories, let people know. It's like, huh, okay, so that person's been through something similar and they went home and got rid of their note, talked to their parents, went to see a counselor, went to see a psychologist. Because it took me a while to figure out what my role is. I'm not a counselor, I'm not a psychologist, but if I can be the bridge between the hurting and the, and the help, be like, it's okay to go reach out, it's okay to talk to somebody, you know, and validate the resources that are out there. If I can do that, that's that's pretty fulfilling. So that really changed your trajectory, because up like after that, that's that's really been what you've gone and, and toured about and spoke about. Like that's that was your message when you had come to my school was all yeah. about suicide, and I I have never forgotten that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's really interesting because like hmm, suicide is almost the the symptom. Like, I had a car accident that led me down to this place that got there. Mm -hmm. You know, you've been through trauma. So it brings you, that's the end, potential end of it, right? So anybody can go through all kinds of things and that could could be the, but but that's like a symptom of something else that happened happened earlier. And if you can get to that person sooner, and um, especially like you said, you were in middle school when when we did the show. So Mm -hmm. it was right when we were starting that. And, you know, and if you can let the person know it's, hey, maybe you've been through something tough. Keep going. Maybe you haven't yet, but one day you will. Yeah. And there, like, one day we were in Edmonton, and uh, it was in the evening. We went somewhere for dinner, and we came back to our tour bus, and there was a guy waiting by our bus. And uh, he says, hey, I saw your bus here. I've been waiting, like, over an hour while you're in there for dinner. Didn't want to interrupt, but just wanted to let you know that you came to my middle school a few years ago, and he goes, I thought it was really cool. But he goes, I hadn't been through anything tough. 
but he goes, but a year later, my mom and my dad both died within a month of each other. And he goes, I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I remembered all the stuff you said in that presentation. And he goes, I want to thank you. And the quote that he talked about in another cliche moment is people like they'll throw out, don't worry, the pain will go away. It doesn't. No, my, my dad passed away and I couldn't believe how many people said, yeah, oh, don't worry, Rob, the pain will go away. And I've heard so many people say that. My, you know, my mom passed away, like, and people tell me the pain's going to go away, but it hasn't. What's wrong with me? Why, why hasn't the pain yeah. gone away? It's like, oh, you think that pain's gone? No, that won't go away. Like, it's not going to go away. I'm like, no. I'm like, do you want to? Would you want to forget about your mom? Yeah. And like, well, no. I'm like, that would be weird, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, the, the pain's not going away, but neither is the strength. If you get up in the morning looking for pain, you will find it. And if you get up in the morning looking for strength, looking for hope, looking for help, you'll find that too. And you'll, you might have to make that decision on a daily basis for a while here. And it's just like, and you've told them, there's a, you're going to have to make some decisions here. And the person's like, so this kid by the bus, he goes, yeah, just want to thank you. And I always say, if pain doesn't go away, neither does the strength. It's in one of my songs, right? What are you, gonna, what are you looking for, right? And that's tough. I heard someone describe once how grief is almost like a box with a button in it and the button is where is what produces the pain response mm -hmm. and when someone you love first passes away that that ball there's a ball in the box mm -hmm. is so big that it's just constantly mm. pushing on that button and over time the ball shrinks mm. but there's always going to be a chance because it's moving it's yeah. going to hit the pain button and other people have described it like it's it's like waves sometimes the ocean is calm and you don't feel the effects, but sometimes the waves are big and you almost feel like you're drowning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think everybody, most people have lost somebody that's important to them. But, you know, we talk about grief a lot on here. And, and I remember I lost my uncle. And at that point in my life, he was the only person that I felt like genuinely loved me because I was still dealing with all my trauma and in some ways there was a lot of shame in my community they didn't understand what I was going through and my parents tried really hard and my uncle was extremely rough around the edges mm -hmm. but we would sit in his entrance I worked construction with him at the time and we would just chain smoke and talk about my trauma and he never judged me mm -hmm. and so when he passed away of cancer I I couldn't get out of bed like, I remember laying in my bathtub, just being totally wrecked. And you know what? It still hurts even now. And, like, I haven't cried about him in years. But I feel like there's a certain level of vulnerability here right now that that you <laughs> you bring to the table because your stories, you're so authentic. But it never goes away. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been, I named my firstborn son after my uncle because he didn't have his own grandchildren at the time. But, you know, we it's like you said, it doesn't ever go away. You know, grief is with loved ones is like love with no place to go. Like you love this person and you have no direction for that love anymore. And so, yeah, like you, you still think about it. Like I still he has grandkids now, but he's never met them. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you see family and you're just th that grief hits you and you're just like, oh, I wish he was here for this. You know, I wish he was here to watch 
my son that I named after him play hockey because he was a hockey player, mm. you know, and my son wears his number sometimes. And, you know, that, that's special to me. And a lot of people would be like, oh, you know, like makes no sense. But I know we're deviating here, but I think it's important because it is like we want to bury things. People want to bury things. And those Band-Aid statements that well-intending people make, mm -hmm. you know. So I've been on a lot of TV sets, radio interviews. <sighs> kind of a big deal. No, you guys <laughs> are the big deal. You'll see where I'm going with this. No, I'm just kidding, being, I'm being ridiculous. Kind of a big deal. Many leather-bound books. <laughs> Anchor back. Thank you. <laughs> Beverly. <laughs> Come see how good I look. Um, some high-tech stuff, but nothing like your podcast, high-tech. I have never been to a place. They have a system here that detects if somebody starts crying. So as she started crying, talking about her uncle... They actually have a sensor that picked up on that and just shut down the podcast <laughs> to give you a break. Oh. I have never seen technology like well, this anywhere. We're very top of the line. Which is yeah. remarkable. You blame it on the batteries that feed the tree. <laughs> but it was a sensor. Oh. So whoever came up with that technology, but yeah. we lost the moment there. And I know. can I jump on that for a second? Yes, because please do. you said a few things there. Okay. You yes. said you lost your uncle, you know, you, you, the pain doesn't go away. And you talked about trauma and thing. The grief There's box. There's the grief box. And you'll see moments in life where we'll be like, oh, wow, that reminds me of my uncle. That reminds me of my dad. That remind And so there's moments that are going to creep up on your life. But you also said something interesting. You said your son sometimes wears the same hockey number that he wore. And he doesn't get to see that. And some people look at me like, it's a hockey number. So... I want to touch on that for a second because that's an interesting aspect because a lot of you say a lot of people go, it's a freaking number on a Jersey. Calm down. And you're like, but to me it's like, and that's what I talk about so much with young people, Dylan, the kid with one arm. And he's just like, there's something wrong with me. You know, blah, blah. I'm like, and this is always my thing. When I meet somebody that's suicidal, like this just happened at the mall the other day. Rob, your music means so much to me. You know, I, I was suicidal. I have depression. I have suicidal thoughts. And I, you know, I'm like, oh. I'm like, so you're like me. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm like, you hurt deeply, but you love deeply too, don't you? Yeah. You hurt deeply, but you can see when others are hurting. Don't, can't you? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you have what I have, and it sucks sometimes. <laughs> you can help a lot of people with that. Yep. Yeah. So do you dance? Do you paint? Do you sing? She's like... I'm a, I'm a painter. How did, how did you know? I'm like, you're, you're an artist. You, exp you have this extra emotion that you have that's inside of you that we try to bottle up and keep inside, but you think you're cursed with this extra emotion. It's just a number on a jersey. Calm down. So you think, so like when my dad passed, I'm like, I was a mess. And forgive me, sister, for saying this, but we were... And we didn't get there on time to say goodbye, but, you know, they left him there, and we came into the room, me and my siblings, and I just couldn't look at him. I was just a mess. And we went met, met with my brother's house later, and all of a sudden we're sitting down, and they're already talking about what, what songs we should sing at the funeral. I'm going, can you give me a minute? Like, and the old me <laughs> would have been like, what is wrong with me? Why do I... Ha why... Some people lose an uncle... 
put a number on a jersey or don't even bother because it's a number on a jersey. Or they go through something tough and they're just, they're not affected. And then there's some of us that are like, why does this hurt so deeply? Mm-hmm. And it, fe- it feels like a curse. But then you're like, what if this isn't a curse? What if this is a gift, this emotion? What if I could channel this in? So I, I thought I was cursed with all this emotion. Why, why, do I, why do things hurt me so deeply? And then I'm like, I'm an artist. And when I started channeling it instead of shutting it off, and I'm like, oh, I'm a songwriter. Oh, cool. And you remember very Mm -hmm. clearly from the show, you came to our school and you talked about suicide. So the next person comes up, like, Rob, that that thing you said, this happened at the Burton Cummings Theater, that thing you said at the show is just like that that statement that was like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I'm like, which one? Like, that's what I'm thinking, right? I'm like, oh, I'm like, which one are you speaking of? Well, the, the main part of your show. I'm like, what's that? You said I need to forgive my dad. And he's like, I need to forgive my dad. And that's what he heard. That's what he And you heard, it. and not, not that I don't talk about suicide, but yeah. to some, I'm like, oh, he's talking about my, my struggle with addiction. Yeah. But all of a sudden, certain things will stand out, right? But it's like, I need to forgive my dad. And you know, we were talking about this while your sensor was drying up the tears. <laughs> but, you know, um, there's different emotions and different things that people go through. I made a joke and now I lost my train of thought. Horrible. I hate when I do that. I do it all the time. <laughs> I was going to say, it happens a lot That's with Katie. Me, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for making me feel better. It does happen with me sometimes too, but we just joke that it happens more with Katie. My concussion. Her, her little concussion. These guys talk about concussions in front of me. Like, <laughs> oh. Shame. <laughs> just kidding. I'm but, sad you lost your train of thought now too, because it was going. It was it was really chugging co- down the track. Either it there. wasn't great or it will come back. No, it was real. Ch- it was chugging. Well, just let me have it. That it'll, it'll come back. <laughs> Never mind. So she wants me to do a song with that. She wants, she wants a beat beatbox apparently. <laughs> it's, oh. it's boots and cats. Boots and cats. And My boots son and cats. is obsessed with beatboxing. Beatboxing. <laughs> well, maybe when he's three, he can pronounce it. But that's what that reminded me of. What did you say? Boots and cats. That's a, that's, that's how the you start. Do it. Boots and cats and boots and cats. And yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, side note. Okay, here we go. You never expect We're this. now. You never expect this in a rock song, but there's a guy, like award-winning, amazing beatboxer out of Michigan, and he's on one of my tracks, which you don't usually hear in um, rock music. In rock music, but mm-hmm. if you listen to our song right in front of you, the bridge on is him beatboxing. Wow. In the background, cool. it's just love it. Wild. I love musical crossovers. Like, <laughs> I'm very eclectic in my music taste. I I grew. I went through a stage, and I guess this is why I I find what you do so impactful because that was the stage of my life where I listened to the heaviest, hardest rock music ever, yeah. and it would have had a profound impact on me to have somebody like you come into my school. Like, I was listening to. Pantera, oh, yeah. <laughs> all all the stuffs, but like went through that emo phase. <laughs> I'm really dating myself here. The side sweep, the dark eyeliner. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I post an hour you don't have eyeliner on. Yeah, I no like yeah the, all the <laughs> way around. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the car is starting. Start the car. 
<laughs> oh boy. No, it's so. Now true, I though. lost my train. No, no, of but you're talking things. about music. Would have been there listening to Pantera, like <laughs> the crossovers. Know. Yeah, but, but uh, the crossovers. Yeah, like I'll. I like to crossover with like if you listen to my album, my new album is 18 songs, and some of them don't even have guitars. They're just like. Yeah, it's just some are really heavy, some are not. The only thing I don't really cross into is country music. Oh, thank you. I, was, <laughs> I apologize to country music fans. Uh, I yeah, I was just at the hospital, and then they said, "Are you allergic to anything?" You know, he said, said country, country music. music. <laughs> Other than that, I'm good. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, you. T- but music can affect you, like. And sometimes you, you think you want to feel guilty about listening to something aggressive, but sometimes it's just good to hear s- something that lets you scream, you know? And some people would really debate that and argue that, but sometimes it's like, if people listen to my music, this guy is trying to mentor you. Listen to what he's saying in his verse. Like, I'm, he's, this is, I'm feeling this. And sometimes I'm talking about my own story and what I struggled with. Mm-hmm. I try to get to a place at the end where an answer to that struggle but sometimes i just want somebody to go like oh that's what i feel in a song you know but and because music can calm you down yeah to go to sleep it can there's a reason you don't listen to you know billy eilish while you're warming up for hockey game you know like you don't skate out to that like because some stuff is so it affects you and the every kid's walking around with earphones in the ears and what you have to be careful for is what you let go from your from your head to your heart you yeah. know when because it, it'll it'll come out at you but yeah sometimes i just need to get something out and sometimes it's in a you know might be into a painting for the next person or a, or a poet poem or a mm-hmm. dance you know but we hold it inside and then again getting back to you were saying this is what you remember the show like we get asked to go like i did a show for all the addictions foundations in alberta they all come together now i know that i'm going to talk a little bit about suicide because somebody dealing with an addiction mm-hmm. is going it ends up there right. human trafficking it could end up there yeah. but but for them I'm there to talk to them about being addicts mm-hmm. and they're all sitting there and I'm like just like I said you're not cursed you're gifted those emotions you have aren't a curse use them channel them right and I'm talking about this at the addictions foundation and all these guys and girls are together and I was like I just want you to know I'm here and I'm not here because I feel sorry for you guys you're not cursed you're gifted as well and like tell an addict there because an addict feels cursed because they can some people can party on the weekend they can shut it off and go back to work or go back to school an addict is still going on tuesday wednesday it gets worse every week every month every year and you think you're cursed because you can't stop mm-hmm. that's not a curse that's a gift yeah. i just like all of you in the audience you're just all in people whatever you do you you go all in you don't do anything half-assed i'm an addict when I got a hold of drugs, I was all in. Yeah. And when I got a hold of a guitar, I was all in. Mm-hmm. Channel it. And all these addicts coming up, like, that is me. Holy, like, yeah, like, I don't, everything I do, I'm all in. And that's not a curse. I'm like, yeah, point it at the right thing, you'll excel. Yeah. Point at the wrong thing, it'll destroy your life. But this rewiring of, of going, looking at somebody and going, I'm not here because I feel sorry for you. We're trying to unlock something in you. Mm-hmm. Man, you, you've got some, you've got value. And they're just going, I've never heard this before. Like, because normally, and I'm not always against medication, but it's often like, oh, you're um, emotional. You're like, here, take this. It'll yeah. shut that off. Yeah. And so I've seen medication help people, but often, like I've been on, 
a lot of medications and all of a sudden yeah just all of a sudden you're numb i have yeah. a song called thief of colors where it's just like you know i couldn't write a song on some of those medications you know like yeah. it's just in this fog you well, know i i totally agree with you and i'm glad you brought it up because i'm also not against medication there have been times in my life where i've had to be medicated because what i'm dealing with is just so heavy i i need something to take the edge off but I actually think that prescription drugs can become an addiction in and of itself if mm -hmm. we're not careful because sometimes they're prescribed with no long-term plan of, okay, are you also going for counseling and therapy? And mm -hmm. are you acknowledging some of these feelings that you're trying to suppress? Because oftentimes I really think it's our, body way of, our body's way of telling us that there's something wrong. Like mm. there's something not quite right. It's either, you know, an undealt with, trauma issue and you know we talk about it often too with with addictions right like what are we trying to bury what mm -hmm. are we trying and and i love that you frame that in like yeah that pain that you're feeling that you don't want to feel it in some ways it, can, it is a gift right yeah. you yeah. You're, you can use that to help other people you can use that you know to channel in into you know artistic developments whatever yeah. they might be you know create mm -hmm. use use your superpower to create something beautiful out of something that doesn't feel very good yeah exactly yeah and i can definitely get into having been on a lot of meds and again doctors like people throwing out cliches at you they might do with good intentions and doctors like you know i take this to fall asleep take this for this nerve damage take this to wake up take this for pain so you start with t3s and then you get to percocet and then you become tolerant and they up your doses and i got to a place you saw this in the documentary which mm -hmm. isn't out yet by the way um if, in case anybody's going where do i see this um, it's coming yes but uh you know i got to a place where i was at monthly 240 percocet and 180 oh, wow. oxy neo and one oxy neo is four percocet so yeah it's like 960 in a month how does your body even well i could function? be sitting here talking like this with you but uh well i wouldn't be that clear actually but i wouldn't even i was just tolerant it was just nobody could start with that but it was the slow development yeah. into this and becoming tolerant but what it did to me my insides like my digestive system i have no idea how much damage i did to my liver through wow. all of that and then and now you go like when it's time to go to sleep and you wean off of all this stuff and your body's going, where's that thing that you take? Right. And you kind of forget so many things, you know, of how you, how you deal with sleep and all these yeah. things. So yeah, like I, uh, I understand all of those things like being on meds, you know, and, and you said something fantastic by the way, cause you like pain tells you there's something up. Like one of the uh, things that I still have ongoing that hasn't healed yet is I lost the feeling in these three fingers in that car accident. So these three fingers up to here, it's just asleep. It's just tingling. Like when your arm falls asleep. So I can feel with my thumb and my index finger enough to hold a pick or a pen, but I can't feel with these three fingers. It's like I can move them, but I can't feel the strings or a keyboard. Wow. So it just tingles. And it sucks unless you're in a hockey fight. But, um, <laughs> but all of a sudden, like, you're like, and then you notice, oh, shoot, I had my hand on the stove. Oh, my. And you're like, oh my God. and then you realize, oh, pain is actually an okay thing in life because pain tells you. Yeah. 
there's something up that you need to address. When you don't have pain, you're going like, oh, I there's a there's a role that play in, pain plays in your life. Like there's something you need to address here in your life. And so that's how it applies physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It's like there's something off here. There's yeah. something wrong. You're in pain. You need to address something. Absolutely. Well, and I, I like to apply that even just like sometimes it's it's relational pain. And I think this is the one that people don't really even want to go there because in the grand spectrum of everything else that's going on when you talk about trauma, relational issues in some ways would be considered minor, right? Mm -hmm. But if you are in a relationship with somebody, whether it's a friend or a spouse or a parent or a child, and that relationship has some... I guess abusive tendencies and and I just want to be clear here like verbal abuse is still abuse mm -hmm. mental abuse is still abuse emotional abuse is still abuse and so sometimes you know someone will say something even just really hurtful not meaning it to be hurtful and yet we have a response it hurts our feelings and we don't want to say anything because we feel like we're overreacting but then we walk away and we start thinking about it and we marinate on that a little bit and it's like okay the i feel like you get to a crossroads where it's like this hurt my feelings and maybe i should go as far to say is you know if if a parent is calling you derogatory names that is verbal abuse mm -hmm. it's mental abuse it's emotional abuse so these kids grow up f being spoken to like they're less than like they're nothing they feel that way because they have a parent that is calling them all kinds of names and putting them down continually, then they get older, they feel like they can't take on the world because they've been told their whole life, you're never gonna amount to anything, you're never gonna, you know, all the, all this stuff. And yet their parents never beat them. So, well, what I've gone through isn't that bad, but why do I feel this way? Totally. Mm -hmm. And so we're not having conversations about that either. Like sometimes it's like we look at all the worst stuff and yet, then we miss some of the stuff is it's actually kind of where it starts totally. yeah. because if you become like you said if you become numb to let's say minor abuse and i don't even want to call it that because abuse is abuse but if you become desensitized to that and you become numb someone else comes along and ups the ante on the abuse that you've experienced sure. like human trafficking right how do you get from point a to point b well you learn to suppress your body's responses to pain because you can't control a lot of the time as let's say a child how your parent is speaking to you you can act out you know you can you can yell and scream you can act out at school whatever else and again it brings us back to like why i feel you're what you're doing is so important because some of these kids don't have an outlet they're experiencing mm -hmm. something at home that makes them feel pain mm -hmm. and they're not being validated in those feelings yeah. of of being looked at and say you know how your parent talks to you how they treat you it's, it's not okay yeah you know and we can look at and you guys know more of my story than others but like to say that i didn't have the support of my family around me parents and uncles and aunts and siblings especially in the beginning with having tattoos and playing rock music the devil music and all that stuff you know you're um black sheep yeah and and you're you you take that on but with whatever you do like 
you know, I can go into a prison and meet with a kid that murdered his parents, and I have no, nothing, no hesitation in giving this kid full compassion and mercy and going, like, what did you go through that got you to that point that you murdered your parents, mm-hmm. right? And you're going, oh, what did you go through? And I have no problem. It's harder with your parents and your family to go, like, Mom, Dad, what did what did you go through that made you treat me like this? And I've said this to many young people. It's like the strength you have to do what you do is already inside of you. Like mm-hmm. if you get that support from your parents and brothers and sisters, wow, what a bonus. But but and we all want that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it doesn't come and it took a long time for me and it's not there from everybody around me yet. Mm-hmm. But you want that, but but you know, I don't think about what my dad how he was brought up, you know, I can't have that same, like, oh, what did you go through to get you to this place? But you also, like you're saying, oh, mine's just minor. Even with my traumatic story of a semi-truck and a fractured skull and all these surgeries, I was still going, yeah, the next person's paralyzed from the waist down, and the next person did wake up. The next person, you know, and I'm like, why am I so overwhelmed? Mine's not that bad because it's so easy to go, like, the other person, and it gets back to what, what is wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Why am I? It's just my parents yelling at me. And treat, but then, yeah, you act out and you do these things, and either you continue that trend one day when you're a parent, and I've seen that a lot, this yeah. generational thing, or you go, like, I'm going to be something completely different from my child one day. Yeah. You know, you get to break that cycle. But it's so easy to just become what you saw. And when you think about tragedy, you know, you mentioned whether it's your parents, it's your spouse, it's whoever, you know, you're, you can think about the, the great book called From um, from Success to Significance. I touched on it earlier, but in that book, it talks about you in any aspect of your life. You can think about your business. You can think about your physical health, your mental health. You can think about your relationships, your marriage, whatever. There's moments when you're just in survival mode. You're just trying to make it to the next day. And from survival, you try to get to stability. It's like, okay, we're stable. Mm-hmm. Health, physical health, or marriage, or whatever. And then from stability, you try to get to success. And that's where Hollywood stopped teaching, as I mentioned before. But there's this next step from success to significance, mm-hmm. where now that story and your life now does impact the world around you. You know, yeah. I take it a step further back, maybe, and I go, can we take people from suicidal to significant? Yeah. And show them that their life can be significant even when they've been in that darkest place. Yeah. Well, I think it's... Sorry. No, go ahead. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting because I've talked about it too, how I always minimize myself and everything. And we've talked about this on the podcast. We we repeat this a lot. Yeah, where it's so easy to minimize what you've gone through, your experiences, because, you know, you always think that someone else has it worse than you or have been through more, but... It's, it's that point where then you start to look at yourself, like you said, well, well, what's wrong with me? And you start going down that rabbit trail of all these things. And I mean, you do minimize it and you don't, you don't want to think it's a big deal, but that emotional abuse that you were talking about earlier that, you know, people minimize because, well, at least it's not physical abuse. That emotional abuse for me was what led me to contemplate suicide myself and so you say okay well it's not as bad as physical abuse but that that was that turning point for me where and I I shared this on on my episode 
So I'll just briefly touch on it in case people haven't heard it yet, but I was in a very emotionally manipulative, abusive relationship for a couple years, and it got to the point where this person, like, he was just beating me down, like, beating me down, and and I got to the point where I had no value, I had no sense of self, you know, he would tell me all of these horrible things about myself, that I was never going to amount to anything, that I was not worthy, that, you know, I was not beautiful, whatever, like, everything you could imagine, he would tell me about myself, so when you hear that enough times, you start to believe it Mm. about yourself, And so, yeah, I had gotten to this place, this dark hole where I just, I didn't feel like I had anything to offer. I wasn't worthy. I wasn't valuable. I wasn't going to amount to anything. And at that point, I had been so manipulated to think, well, this person loves me like so much. But if he thinks that about me, Hmm. it must be true. Wow. Yeah. So... And, and that was kind of that point where I, I did, like I started contemplating suicide and, and it got pretty serious to a point. And, you know, thankfully I, I, I never, you know, fo- followed through with it, but it was a very, very dark time in my life. It was very challenging, but it was one of those things where you just are in this space but that's why it's so important not to minimize even things like emotional, you know, mental abuse. Like these are not things that that should be minimized because they damage people and you know, it it affects a lot of people. So that was kind of what came to mind when you were talking about minimizing even those, you know, maybe smaller traumas that I think some people associate with mental emotional abuse. It's still big stuff yeah and and people you know don't realize like i heard somebody say this um somebody hey, thank you your work inspired me and and she's like i was suicidal and she goes and she was like i wanted to die and then she just said you didn't want to die you just didn't want to feel that way anymore and she's like and yeah and i have that lyric in a song where it's just like yeah it's not that i wanted to die I just didn't want to feel this way you know yeah. and you're you're trying to think of and a lot of people talk about suicide like you hear everybody say what a selfish thing you would do when you're suicidal yeah. is is you take your pain and you give it to the world around you you pass it on which happens yeah. <laughs> you are spreading your pain yeah. but to somebody that has never been to those that place where you're contemplating yeah. the lie in your head mm-hmm. is the most selfless thing you could do is That's leave. Right. Like yeah. you're, you're making their life oh, easier man. and better. I'm a burden to my family. I'm yeah. a burden to my friends. What a better world. Oh man, the most selfless thing you could do is leave. Yeah. Oh man. And then you do that, that lie. And that's all that we try to combat is that yeah. lie. It's like, what? I always say, are you glad I'm still here? Yeah. Somebody will say the same thing to you one day. You'll yeah. meet somebody with the same, and you'll recognize the pain because you've been there and you're gonna be like oh and you'll be like i was just like you and, you're gonna be like, what? and maybe you'll have one person one day that you'll recognize that moment in you know but that's that's the significance part yeah well i know with with myself like we've we've talked about this on other episodes that katie and i both have had our own struggles with suicide but my story is you know in the middle of 
being trafficked, there came a point where, and this was just my thought process, I just felt so hopeless. And it was that, like, did not, I knew, I, I felt like, I shouldn't say I know, because mm -hmm. I know my family doesn't feel this way or never did. I felt like I was a burden to my family. I saw the pain that my family was in. They didn't know how to help me. They didn't know what I was going through and I didn't know how to tell them. I didn't know how to talk about them. And so I went to my mom's like drug cabinet, prescription drugs, and pretty much took every single, and she was on some pretty hefty medications. She was had fibromyalgia, she was sleeping pills, everything else. And I sat at the table and put my head down and my parents came home and they're like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I was like, I, I just cried. I was like, I just don't want to be here anymore. So they called the ambulance and they rushed me to the hospital. I had my stomach pumped and everything else. And I'd, I'd like to say at, at that point, my perspective changed where I had this experience and it was like, well, you know, I failed and my hmm. attempt and you know, I've, I've had my, my moment and I realize I want things to be better, but that feeling of hopelessness didn't change because I was still in the same circumstances in the same situation. And the only thing I can say about that is now I'm so grateful that I didn't succeed. You know, I, I've, I don't know if, if you've heard similar stories, but I've heard stories of people who've had failed attempts mm -hmm. that are so grateful that they never succeeded. I mean, I didn't feel that way right mm -hmm. after, but now looking back, you know, 16 years ago, I'm just, I look at my life and yeah, it, it was a struggle and I might get emotional again, even just talking about it, but healing and being healthy is really hard work mm. it's really hard work and you know dealing with the emotional pain or you know the abuse and and all the stuff that we've talked about grief and it's hard yeah. it really is hard and, and and i don't want people to ever minimize how challenging that journey is but it's mm. like you said in the beginning it has to be this decision where it's like, it's one hour, one day at a time where you just decide I is worth, my life is worth fight, fighting for. And, and you know, I may not have people around me that I feel like are fighting for me, but I'm, I'm gonna fight for myself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful that we can sit, the three of us and have this conversation because we're all still here yeah. and I'm sure we can all say without a shadow of a doubt that we're all still really grateful that we are here yeah. because even though there's still hard days I'm sure you still have hard days I mean I still have hard days Katie still has hard days yeah. but now there's light yeah in in our lives where we're just like oh these these are the things that back then when I felt hopeless I'm now standing in the things that I hoped for. Yeah. yeah. You, you, the Golden Gate Bridge in California, the amount of suicides that happened there, there's only been a handful of survivors. All of them have one thing in common. It's what you said. The moment their feet left yeah. the bridge, they wish they wouldn't have done it. That's the one thing that they all have in common. I wish, why didn't I stop now? 
you pull the trigger, you swallow the pills, does somebody get home on time to get your stomach pumped and all these things? But if you have that in common, like all these survivors and they tell their stories, mm-hmm. the moment of, what am I doing? I just, just, oh. there's, there's some just incredible stories. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, like during COVID when we couldn't do our performances, you know, we went around and captured some of the stories of kids that gave us suicide notes, where are they now? And so they'll, kids sit in class and they watch a 10, 15 movie about, minute movie about my story and then they watch a music video and then they journal on their computers what they learned from my story like what was Rob's struggle what was his breakthrough how did he get help how was he helping other people then they watch an episode about Dylan the next day or the next week the kid with one arm then they watch and after a few episodes they're then asked what's your struggle where could you find a breakthrough Mm. and kids just nobody's ever asked me this before or they see myself and other people being vulnerable they'd be like this is what I'm dealing with and they pour their hearts into these journals mm-hmm. and their journals go strictly straight to counselors and teachers and stuff and like 60% of the kids 60% of the kids um, are going this is what I'm struggling with and I need some help with my mental health which and 20% were flying completely under the radar and you think do you want to draw that stuff out you know mm-hmm. some people old school think I'm pulling something up don't worry I'm not ignoring you guys oh. <laughs> but um, a lot of people think you'd want to bring out that stuff, but you're talking about your healing process. It's not easy, but when you verbalize it, it's just like something happened. And now, like the, one of my team members, she sent me this the other day. Uh, scientists at UCLA found that when we name our emotions, we dampen their intensity. Imagining, uh, sorry, imaging studies show that one of the structures of the brain tasked with emotion decreased its activity when people engage in affect labeling when naming the emotion the frontal lobe part of the national na- rational sorry ra- the national yep national brain the ra- rational national. brain so the frontal lobe the part of the rational brain was put to work labeling seems to distract from the emotional brain by engaging in a cognitive process allowing individuals to look at this situation more rationally. So just by verbalizing it, putting it into a poem, into a journal, into a school thing, just verbalizing it. That's why you go to a psychologist or a counselor. You can go for two years just to get to that one point for to go, this is what I'm struggling with. Mm-hmm. And the moment you can just verbalize it, you decrease its effect and it, yeah. and it engages the rest of your rational mind and that's what you lose as much as i believe emotion is not a curse it's a gift mm-hmm. but how do you rationalize that emotion be like what can i do with this and yeah. engage that other part of your brain the fact that you know it's now being understood the stuff that you both i'm sure found out yourselves and you're trying to do what you do to help other people verbalize it say it yeah. get it out even if it's n- not pleasant don't leave it in here. Yeah. Get it out. But it's dark. Yeah. yeah, get it out if it's dark, especially if it's dark. Yeah. I always say that tears are like poison. They're not meant to be in your system. You have to flush that out once in a while. And this is coming from a six foot five dude with a mohawk. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, please make sure to like, subscribe, follow us on our social channels at Luma and Bloom Official and leave us a review where you can. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. We hope you had your own Luma moment.